0: episode 232 of the pj archive is a phone interview i did with the wonderful irish canadian singer and actor colm wilkinson who is best known for originating the lead role of jean valjean in the stage musical les miserables in the west end and on broadway after performing in several irish bands in the 1970s He played Judas in the Dublin and London productions of Jesus Christ Superstar and sang the role of Shay on the original album of Evita. In 1985, he was the first to play the Phantom in the Phantom of the Opera when it was workshopped at the Sidmonton Festival. And four years later, he took that role in the Toronto production, which led to him relocating his family to Canada. Readers of Rolling Stone magazine voted Colm one of the five greatest singers ever. This interview took place in 2009 when he was set to perform concerts in Ireland and was playing Lord Darcy in the third season of the hit TV miniseries, The Tudors. So I began by asking him how he got involved in that.
1: Peter, it's an Irish-Canadian-American production. And uh, I live in Canada, in Toronto. Yeah. And they were, they do some casting here as well. And somebody in Ireland suggested me, because I live in Toronto, actually the uh, one of the producers, Morgan O'Sullivan, is an old friend of mine. He said, uh, I know a Canadian, because I am a Canadian citizen. Yeah. And that was important. And he said, uh, who you could cast uh, as Darcy. And uh, he said, as the guy he played the fan. They knew me. when He mentioned the Phantom of the Opera, because they did the Phantom of the Opera here for four and a half years. Yeah, yeah. So they said, that's great, yeah. And so I did a little um, test for them, and uh, they liked it, and they hired me.
2: And many musical theatre stars I know pine for straight acting opportunities such as this. (laughs) How big a deal has it been for you in that
1: respect? Well, it was great, because it was a new sort of discipline for me. But um, it, I've done little bits of things before, but never something as big as that, and that's such a popular series, you know. Yeah. Uh, so it was great, and uh, obviously a little bit uh, frightening to to have to, to learn that stuff, but at the same time, uh, strangely enough, our discipline, as you know, is you have to have it right on the night, but um, they do little bits of this, and they do one scene, and then you have a break, and then they do another scene, so it wasn't... Uh, as arduous and as, as terrifying as I thought, you did get time in between, but I had it all down before I left. I just I thought that was the best thing to do. Yeah. but um, it, was, um, it was a very interesting experience, and I would love to do more of it if, uh, if it's not uh, a, I, you know learning reams of dialogue is you know, can't be quite <laughs> terrifying at times, you know, but at the same time, no, I loved the experience, and it was great. it's all shot in Dublin where I'm from. Yeah, and uh, it was it was just great, and and uh, to be around those people, uh, these uh, really great actors, and um, to uh, be in Dublin as well at the same time, was, and they shot it outside in all these great locations, the old castles and in the countryside, in Dublin, which was wonderful. You know, it was wonderful to get out there in the summer and and see all these places again. It was great. Yeah, I really enjoyed the experience, and I'd love to do more.
2: Am I right in thinking it's already aired in America and Canada?
1: it's aired in america it hasn't aired in canada it's airing in canada in september i believe october
2: so and how are the aired. american critics with you then
1: how, i haven't got a clue uh, i'm doing the memorial day celebration uh on sunday down in washington uh i'm singing bring him home it's you know the the troops and all that kind of celebration that they have It was bringing home of the troops yeah and uh I was doing a, a blitz of, they do call them conference radio things uh, over here, where yep. they put you on conference call. And you do about five or six radio stations in about two hours, you know. So uh, one of the guys said, oh, congratulations on the tutors. Yeah, that was great, man. I love that one. Well, blah, blah. So they have seen it out there, but yeah. no, I haven't seen any. I, look, what I do, Peter, is I just do the gig and move on. You know, critics very rarely read them. After Les Miserables and that, I just I just don't read them anymore. Not that I was flagged in Les Miserables. They just put the musical down in London, as you know. Yep. And then when it came to America, it was just like a 180 turnaround. I could not believe it. So after that, I just didn't bother. I never bother reading critics anymore. I get good reviews and stuff like that, but the people use them for publicity and stuff. But I, I don't really try not to pay too much attention to that stuff. Just get on with the work.
2: But you're now sort of seeking to expand your non-musical acting credits, are you?
1: <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah, I'd love to do that. I'd love to do that. Because, you know, the big problem about being a singer is uh, you get on a plane and you catch a cold and then you get to a place and you can't perform. Now, that's yeah. only happened to me once or twice in my lifetime, thank God. But at the same time, that is a possibility and you're always freaking out, especially nowadays with the way... There are all these inf- influenzas and flus and viruses going around. It's just crazy. So, uh, you know, that's a huge pressure, being a singer and going to gigs. When you fly to do a speaking gig, obviously you have to have your voice. But at the same time, it's not that important that you, you know. So that's a big relief to me.
2: Are you someone who's quite precious about his voice, about air conditioning and Absolutely. no smoking? And-
1: Absolutely. I don't smoke. I don't drink. I have a nice glass of red wine every day six months or something like that absolutely this is my like you can be very precious about it and say like use that word uh, that that uh, you know uh, uh, this is this is your instrument if i'm ill if i don't can't work i just uh, can't earn you know so mm-hmm. this is my whole you know this is what i do so i have to look after it i, I mean it's like a, a violinist looking after their their instrument you know does
2: that become more difficult as you get older? Do you find? Oh, I
1: think so. I think so. I think when you're young, I think you you're more resistant to a lot of things. But as you get older, I think your immune system is then you you know is a, can get down very quickly, and you have to really watch yourself and be very careful. You know, I drink loads of water. I take. Honey and garlic, I take vitamins, I take all sorts of stuff. I'm a bit paranoid, I suppose, maybe a bit of a hypochondriac, but I do try to really look after myself, especially when I'm working.
2: Yeah, now uh, you recently performed for President Obama and Teddy Kennedy. Uh, (laughs) What was that like, and what did you think of them?
1: Uh, Well, I know Teddy Kennedy for a long time now. Right. Um, The story that he told me, when we went into for the pre-Broadway run we did that in Washington in the Kennedy Center Mm -hmm. uh, which is named after his family so um, he uh, he took me under his wing and he told me that um, he took me and my family under his wing and he sort of said that his sister Jean Kennedy Smith saw the production uh, of Les Miserables in in London and uh, came to uh the guy who was running the Kennedy center at the time a man called stevens and said to him you've got to get the uh, this musical into here in into the kennedy center before it goes to broadway and you've got to get the irish guy that's 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 what that's what, Teddy Ke- that's what ted kennedy the senator told me so yeah uh, so uh, we became very good friends and um i hadn't seen him for a long time i hadn't seen him for eight or nine years uh, until i got down to do that uh, Went to Washington to do that um, birthday celebration. That was wonderful to do that for him because he's such a great guy and he's such, done such amazing work for America.
2: And how is he at the moment?
1: He's not too well. I mean, obviously he's not too well, but he's got this tenacity and strength and motivation that all the Kennedys have. He's just he's got this incre- just incredible ability and attitude. It's just wonderful. It's amazing. He's an, he's, he's, he's an inspiration. He's, he's all, he, as they say over here, he's awe-inspiring. He really is. You're around him and like when i came into the room to meet him he stood up he'd been sitting down because he can't stand for long and he stood up and started singing bring him home really yeah he's he's just a wonderful guy
2: gosh and obviously they're very close contacts with ireland the kennedy family do you do you you talk about ireland much with him
1: yes obviously yeah actually when i won the alan hayes award Mm -hmm. in washington for (coughs) lisa rob when i was there they wouldn't let me out of broadway to collect the award, to yeah. accept the award, and he accepted the award on my behalf. Huh. He went to the Kennedy Center and he made this wonderful speech. And the speech said, <laughs> because I actually got the speech printed, uh, uh, copied out, and brought him down a framed, uh, for his birthday present, brought him down a framed uh, um, copy of the, of, the, of the speech that he made. Uh, <clears> and he accepted the award on my behalf. And he, start, he said, what will, basically, if I remember correctly, he said, what will they think of next? An American senator accepting the award for an Irish actor playing a French convict in a British musical. That's what he opened the uh, thing with. it's is quite funny. And
2: um, uh, what about he, Obama? Because obviously he's made a tremendous impact. Is he as charismatic as one imagines?
1: Oh Yeah, I mean, it was very brief, and it's wonderful that he was there, but we, we were totally knocked out. I mean, uh, we knew he was in the building, but I, I think uh, um, Senator Kennedy knew as well, but I, I don't think... Uh, um Bill Cosby was the MC.
2: Yeah, I could see that. And Bill in the Cosby
1: pictures. said, um We have, you know, you know Bill Cosby said, When you go into restaurants, he said, and you know, when people start singing Happy Birthday, he said, and there's always guys singing out a tune, man. And they're always the guy who started, and it's dreadful. He said, I hate it. But he says, We've got the best starter in the world right here with us tonight, ladies and gentlemen, mm-hmm. the President of the United States. <laughs> and he introduced Obama, and out he came. And, um, he actually, and this was wonderful, what he did was, he, the people went mad, you know, they all stood up and went um, crazy. But what he did was he shook hands with everybody on the line, with, right. with all those artists, before he actually uh, he turned around and got on with his business, which I thought was really nice of him to
2: do. Did you have any memorable conversation with him or his oh, wife? No,
1: no, no, just a handshake. He didn't have time. He was in right. and out of there very quickly. Mm. No, 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 just a handshake and um, thank you and whatever. Like meeting the Queen, you
2: know. <laughs> <laughs> Have you met the Queen?
1: Oh yeah, I met. I met all of the royal family. Hey. Mostly, yeah.
2: And how many presidents now? Three. Right.
1: At Reagan, Clinton, and Obama.
2: Have you ever made any gaffes or anything, and made any mistakes, etiquette mistakes or whatever?
1: With, uh, with, with any of them? Not really. Uh, Princess Di and it was who Les Mis was her favourite musical. She uh, actually came to the opening in the Barbican on her own. Oh and uh i had met and i was doing superstar in 1980 yeah <laughs> i mean, we're in manchester and uh it was the, the first tour of, of jesus christ superstar mm-hmm. the first uh, country tour and uh we were doing it and they had a gala evening there and charles was there and um we did a, an excerpt from the show and he came and we met all the cast afterwards and uh he was introduced to us uh, and he, he, I asked him, I said, Do you do any acting yourself? And he said, No, no, not really. I, not really. And, I, uh, and he said, Who are you, by the way? I was Judas, you know. Yeah. And I said, I'm Judas. And he said, I thought you were Pontius Pilate or something <laughs> like that, you know. And uh, skipped to the barbecue, and she was there and I was in the lineup, uh, Princess I... And she came along, and they said, you know, got six seconds. That's basically what they told you. Yeah. You have just six seconds. kiri Takanawa uh, was on that in, in Manchester, and that's where he heard her sing first. And he hired her after hearing her sing there for the wedding. For right? the wedding, yeah. Yeah. So she she came to the Barbican, and I, I, she said hello and whatever I don't know. And I said I, I actually met your husband uh, in 1980. And um, I had a conversation with him because I was doing, uh, playing Jesus Christ. I and doing Judas Judas Iscariot and I uh, I was introduced to him and he thought I was, um, whatever, John the Baptist. And uh, she said, that's just like him. (laughs) She came a couple of times to see Le Miserable. She Um, came once with Fergie. It was her favorite musical.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I came 37 times. I have to say, I love it.
1: Yeah, Uh, Really, my God.
2: And you've often been quoted as saying you get nervous before every oh, performance you give. Yeah. So what's it like when you got VIPs like the president in front of you? Uh,
1: it is. It's more nerve-wracking. Memorial Day is about, I would say, probably 100,000 people. There's 40,000 people on the Capitol Hill lawn. It's PBS live, PBS Ooh. cameras. And uh, it's probably 10,000 people stretching yeah. down behind you. It's it's a big, huge thing. It's so obviously quite intimidating. You just have to go out and do your job. That's part of my job. That's mm. what I do. And you just do your best and hope that everything is okay.
2: Yeah, well, you've sung yeah. Bring Him Home so many times now, haven't you? You must have couldn't yeah. do it in your sleep.
1: It's a bit... That song I don't uh, particularly find very difficult to sing uh, as a song uh, when you're under pressure because it's a very delicate song and it has, yes. you have to be in full control, you know. And sometimes you're nervous, you're not, it affects your voice. But you just do your best, Peter. You do yeah. your best and hope the best. So well, I mean, if you if you, it doesn't sound great, okay, so you did your best. That's it. That's mm-hmm. that's the way I try to approach it. But you're obviously very, very nervous, um, obviously, in these situations, yeah. Obviously.
2: And do you throw up when you're nervous? What happens to you? No, I
1: don't throw up. <laughs> <laughs> no, I used to initially, I remember when I did Superstar first, I did, yeah. I just get very uptight, uptight enough to sort of, you know, become very sort of quiet, basically. Sure. try to internalize and try to myself going but i have a great support system i've got my wife and my family and uh, yeah. my wife travels with me nearly everywhere i go oh, and uh, she's just fantastic she looks after me well and keeps me going she's fantastic she's the best thing that ever happened to me
2: well how lovely what about your irish gigs what can audiences expect what will they be like those performances
1: well the gigs never really change i mean what i like to do is a mix of um, a mix of both i like to mix the the broadway stuff with with uh my roots are rock and roll i uh, yeah. came from blues and jazz and rock and roll so i love that i like all kinds of music and i've said this before that good music is good music you know and duke ellington has said that too so i like to do all types of music and all genres of music if it's good music i have a hope i pick tunes that people will like and i hope tunes that i like to sing I open with um, uh, the music of the night, and uh, I go, Sometimes I go straight into Tennessee waltz, and this time around it's the wind beneath my wings. And I do. I'm doing this this tour. I change about four or five. So I'm doing Del Shannon's Runaway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm doing. Uh, I got my mojo working by muddy waters we're doing the Leonard Cohen song Hallelujah
2: great song it's very popular here at the moment beautiful
1: song Yeah, beautiful song and that's in four part harmony I have two girls with me two girls singers wonderful singers and uh, so um, I mix it but then I do you know I do If Ever I Would Leave You I do Some Enchanted Evening I do Anthem This Is The Moment you know I do Man of La Mancha it's started 60 70 percent broadway and then with the mix i do danny boy i do whiskey in the jar people seem to like that you know of
2: course do you think if you closed your eyes on stage you'd know you were in ireland could you just tell oh,
1: absolutely yeah yeah i know by the response i know by the way they respond i mean i was saying i open hallelujah by saying i'd like to do a song by, by a by a very famous canadian singer songwriter who's also a painter a poet a philosopher and wonderful writer has anybody got an idea of who I'm talking about, and somebody in Ireland shouted up Celine Dion. <laughs> 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 That's the kind of response you get in Ireland, you know. And um, so, you know, uh, the the way the economy is there, I'm sure the same in England. Really bad. Oh, yeah. I said uh, I, I I do a song from my album, the last song, the last album called I Cannot Stay, and I just say you know this is this is appropriate because i cannot stay i've got to go now and usually you get oh, Mm. and one guy shouted up uh, but the night is young you know and i said yeah but i'm not (laughs) and and i said have you got no homes to go to and somebody shouted up last year no they're all repossessed
2: (laughs) Fantastic. So you,
1: know, you know you're in Ireland. Yeah, you yeah. know you're in
2: Ireland. Yeah. Oh, and do you still have a home in Ireland? And when did, did you last live there?
1: Oh, it, uh, I last lived in Ireland on a permanent basis, oh God, 20 years ago. Right. So, no, the home is still there, but we've had various members of the family occupying it and um, my kids when they were studying and different things like that. But it's still there, but we don't, uh, we don't, we live in hotels when we go over there.
2: So roughly where in Ireland is that home, then?
1: It's out in uh, in Wicklow. Yeah, oh, A lovely area, Wicklow. yeah. Yeah, it's beautiful out there. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And uh, how many of your relatives and friends still live in Ireland, then?
1: Oh, I've got family there, yeah. I'm from a family of ten. Um, two have passed, so the rest, the rest are alive. And uh, I've got sisters and brothers in Ireland, and I've got a sister in London, I've got a sister in Spain. So we're quite uh, spread around. But no, I have family there, yeah.
2: And how do you feel when you're in Ireland these days?
1: I feel like I would uh, like to come home at some stage and spend more time there because most of the, my friends that I grew up with are now reaching an age where, you know, we. I would like to spend more time with them. We were all busy about our careers 20, 30 years ago, but now we're all sort of coming to the stage where we're trying to pull back a bit, so I would like to spend more time with the people, you know, that... Uh, were my friends you know and uh, yeah. my family and all that now being instead of being over here even though I, we have friends here um, i would like to spend more time in ireland on a permanent basis yeah
2: and how would you describe your upbringing in ireland
1: my upbringing in ireland was 10 and the family um lots of love and lots of chaos i suppose yeah my mom with 10 kids had a lot on our hands uh, but we all helped one another and uh a lot of music in the house huge amount of music my mom always sang and played a violin a bit my dad played banjo and sang and played piano so there was always music in the house i grew up surrounded by music
2: and when you were very young did anyone predict a bright future for you musically
1: no no, no it was actually the period of time that i grew up in it was sort of just slightly pre-television television came in when i just in my teens but we listened to the radio a lot, so when there were gatherings uh, of family members and friends, which happened a lot because that was entertainment, uh, everybody did their party piece. So you either sang, you recited a song. So I was singing from a very young age.
0: Yeah. and I was
1: singing fesh Kiols, they called them singing competitions in Ireland as well, yeah. from a young age, from sort of ten or eleven. And I was in a choir also you know, with the Christian Builder School in Crumlin. There was a brother, O'Reilly, who used to run the choir there, who more or less mentored me. But, I mean, I thought my family was normal, that, that, that there was music going most of the time. And, uh, but when I, when I went into other households and they were very quiet, I couldn't understand what was going on. <laughs> I found it quite weird and unusual.
2: And how did you feel about the Christian Brothers? Because actually there's, there's even headlines in the UK today about yes. uh, the Catholic Church ignoring the sexual abuse of thousands of children by priests in Ireland and all those yeah. years ago.
1: Yeah, well, you know, there's good and bad everywhere. And there was. I met some good guys and I met some bad guys in my time too. And, um, you know, uh, you have to take the good with the bad. They did raise the standard of education dramatically in Ireland. But there was a lot of strange guys in there, also, you know. But, mm. um, you know, this man uh, was uh, a very musical and a very caring guy, and uh, there are a lot of there were a lot of good guys in there as well, you know. Mm. But the, unfortunately, the bad guys were there too, and they've they've given uh, a, a, a not a good name to the whole uh, order, you know.
2: Yeah. And uh, did you ever consider any other careers?
1: I was actually with my dad, my dad was an contractor, and uh, I was with him for five years actually. I I started. I was on the road since I was 14 years of age, basically, yeah. with bands, and I was in America when I was 16, in New, in New York and Chicago and places like that, playing with a band. So it did interfere with my schooling, because I, I was always sort of singing, or I got a guitar. He played a banjo, I started playing the banjo first, and then I graduated to a guitar. So uh, I was working. Then I came back, and my mom said, "Your dad needs you in, in the firm and in, in the company. You should be with him." So I took her advice, and I stayed with him until I was sort of in my early twenties. But I couldn't I couldn't take it, Peter. I, I, I just still wanted to do what I wanted to do, which was play music. And I found uh, that kind of uh, life was not for me, really. Even though you know it was a family business, so I just left.
2: But having it taking you to America and places uh, so early, you must have had a, a good feeling that uh, you would make it big one day.
1: Ah, Not really. I, people say, did you have a plan or did you? No, not really. Mm. I mean, I mm. did get offers, That strange enough, in New York to record there. I did get offers in Chicago to stay there if I could stay and, and sing there. But I, I wanted to come home. I love Ireland and I always have. And I wanted to come home. I didn't, and uh, I even got an offer of marriage while I was there as well, <laughs> which, well, sort of an offer of marriage. Somebody said if I came back, some family said, and uh, their daughter, I'd met their daughter, and it was a very, very nice people. Yeah. But um, that didn't happen either because um, I just uh, wanted to be home in Dublin and Ireland. And, um, no, I look, Peter, I, I went where the work was. There was no big people say well did you no did you plan that no I just went people like me working singers working jobbing actors and we're just going you just go where the work is that's why I ended up in Toronto you know so I had no major plans no no I just went where the work was and uh, I was very fortunate to get into very very good work very early
2: and you didn't really have the traditional acting training by the sound of it.
1: I Oh, no, but my sister was an actress. My mother was in uh, sort of opera, light opera in her hometown. I had an acting school at home and I went to Rada for about three weeks, but then I got a gig and I was too busy to go, you know. so <laughs> It was that kind of a thing. Yeah. Uh, when I was in Superstar, I left Superstar, I went to, to Rada to see what way it was. But I didn't, I, I suppose, I didn't have the patience to start. To, I was sort of, at that stage, I was sort of, Uh, walking and running, and I didn't want to start crawling again, basically. I didn't want to go back. sort of starting in a way that I didn't do more of that, but town ever. I just learned as I went along, you know?
2: You presumably had a big dream to be a rock star rather than a musical theatre star, didn't you?
1: Well, it's in a business that you want to succeed. So success means being a rock star, yes, but um, I didn't really picture that. I just pictured trying to be successful and making... I, at that stage, was married in the early 70s. I got, I got married in 1970. So in, in that stage of my career, I, I had a family I, in the early 70s. And uh, you support your family, and you have to provide for your family. So, you know, that takes precedent over, you know, being having any sort of starry-eyed ideas about being rock star. This business is rough. I see a, a yeah. lot of the kids involved in these competitions, these American Idol and uh, Britain has talent and all that kind of stuff. And, you know... I'm not uh, sort of uh, uh, denigrating these shows or what I'm just... These kids are in for a rude awakening when they go yeah. into the real music world.
2: Well, what, what was uh, Lloyd Webber like in those days, especially compared to now?
1: Andrew? Andrew's a, a bit of a genius. Uh, mm. He's just quite an eccentric, sort of a nod genius but he, I found that himself and Tim Rice a great sense of humour, wry humour, but um, they were, uh, you know, they were what they were, very busy guys. Hmm. um i got on well with both of what i saw i didn't see a lot of andrew i saw a lot of tim and tim was a huge fan and um so uh, i did a uh, superstar for them for i think it was two and a half years in the west end in 1972 i think to 74 and a half whatever 75 and then i did the tour in 1980 but um why didn't you, know,
2: you do A Vita in the west end
1: um that's a long story. I got involved with um, the Eurovision the same year. Oh, yes. Yeah, and I had Born to Sing in there, and that was tipped to win. I went over, I did an audition, and they asked me back to do a second audition, and I said I wasn't going, basically. Uh, I was, I'd was. i got in from a gig at uh, something like 5 o'clock in the morning, and they wanted me to fly out <coughs> that afternoon or something and do so. And, uh, you know, I, I, I thought, well, do I really need this? And I'd have to move my family back to England again because I'd come home after Superstar. Mm. And it was sort of a huge sort of undertaking for me. David Land phoned me, my old friend David Land, and he said, Colin, you've got to come over here. We've set this up for you and and we're going to dress you up as Shay and do this and whatever. And I said, David, I'm not going to do it. I've decided I'm not going to do the second. Now, would that have changed the outcome with David Essex doing it? I don't know. Mm. But at the same time, I didn't go back for the second audition. And uh, David Land then phoned me when David Essex left and said, would you like to come in and take over now? And I said, no, I'm too busy working mm. concerts. But you have to realize that at the time, and I'm not becoming a money head here, at that time, you know, I could earn as much in one gig that they were paying me for a week in the, in the theater, you know, yeah, even yeah. though I got well paid, but I, mm. I got reasonably well paid. I could earn, you know, in two gigs, you know, the same amount of money. So why do eight shows a week when I could do that in two nights, you know?
2: What difference did Eurovision make to your career, do you think?
1: Not a lot. I'm known for Born to Sing, I suppose. I thought the song that I won, that I I got into the National Song Contest in Ireland, there was a dream with a far better song, but Mm. that came second. That might have got a lot further than Born to Sing. But I got back to the drawing board and I wrote Born to Sing for the next year, and I won the next year, and then I was representing Ireland in Paris. I think I came fifth in Paris.
2: Yeah. Uh, Why didn't you win, do you think?
1: i don't know i think um it's all the taste of the time i haven't got a clue i mean who knows what goes on and uh, what's going on now block voting you (laughs) know and the politics that's going on and look i don't look at it now i believe it's a total farce now yeah so i I don't really i've I've moved on from there it's uh, just the songwriting thing i was doing at the time which was great they were my songs which and it was great the other thing wa- about the the, the thing was uh, it was my song, and I thought if I get an opportunity to push my song on the Eurovision, and maybe uh, if there was a chance of me winning, and get an opportunity, it was my song. I could uh, you know do very well out of my song. You
2: know? hmm. And do you think um, Eurovision should be scrapped now? Bearing in mind all those. Um... Oh,
1: I don't know. I mean, so, I don't really pay attention to it, Peter. You know, to be quite honest, I don't know. I have no idea what's going on there. Now I've been living over here for. Over 20 years, you know, so sure. I haven't got a clue what goes on there.
2: Okay, but um, as regards Phantom of the Opera, you, you originated the role at Sidmonton, and yeah. how did you feel about Michael Crawford landing the part in the West End and Broadway then?
1: Well, the, the story is, the real story is, that uh, I was asked to do it, but oh. I was contracted to do Les Miserables.
2: Oh, right.
1: Yeah, and uh, actually, um, Andrew, that's one of the stories he tells, that he did as I was his original choice for the Phantom. But Cameron McIntosh was producing both shows and I remember coming home in Cameron McIntosh's car from Sittlement and he says, I know Andrew wants you to do this because Andrew had asked me to do it. And he said, I know he wants you to do it, but I need you to do Les Miserables. And he said to me, "Macintosh said to me, that if, if he said, Les Miserables doesn't work, you can do The Phantom. Oh, right.
2: Gosh. That was it. And did you ever regret even when Les Mis had a bit of a shaky start?
1: Oh, no. No, Les Miserables was just, wonderful for me it was a no the Phantom was a great role too and I I thought you know I loved when I sang uh, music of the night for the first time I think it was probably the first time first person to sing that song in, yeah. in that incarnation it was just so moving I was nearly in tears and uh it's great music but you know uh, the valjean was such a great character i was just oh, yeah. very fortunate two great roles that's what cameron McIntosh said even in hindsight i mean he didn't know how successful they were going to be but he says you are uh, really in an envious position here yeah. so there's two of the, these two great roles Now nobody knew how su- su- successful they were going to be because that's what he said if les miserables doesn't work yeah and, i mean it was incredible what happened uh, regarding the critical reviews and, yes. and the barbican you couldn't get a ticket for it, you know. You yeah. couldn't get a ticket for it. Just the people voted with their feet, you know, yeah. and that was it. Yeah. And uh, oh no, it was just. I, and then I got uh, the, the following year after I left the Broadway. The following year, I got a phone call to come here and do it for six months. I was on my way into America, yeah. and uh, I stayed here for four and a half years doing it I mean I did 1700 performances of it so yes, yeah, it right. was huge for me as well so I got the best of both worlds to be quite honest and yeah. Michael did a great job yeah. I mean he, he became that character that was his role <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying that I did it differently and probably I might have been as successful I don't know
2: and later this year, there's going to be a sequel to Phantom of the Opera. Oh, I hear. yeah, yeah. Um, yeah how yeah. likely are you to be involved, and how do you feel about there being a sequel?
1: Uh, I would say I probably won't be involved. I'm, you know, it's a young guy's business. Eight shows a week? Mm, no, no. I've been there, done that. I've been very fortunate, Peter, in my, in yeah. my life. I mean,. I was uh, the first guy to sing the Evita music. I was the first guy to sing the Phantom music. I was the first guy to sing Les Misérables music. <laughs> I was the first guy to sing Jekyll and Hyde music. So I mean, I had a lot of firsts in my life. Yeah. And so, like guys coming up my age then, thirty and forty years of age, it's their time now. You're you know, right. their time. I'm delighted yeah. to be doing my concerts and still able to stand up and do them and deliver the what I do. You know, and be able to sing and please people and when i feel that i can't do that anymore i won't do it
2: yeah, but when les mis first opened it seems very few people really believed in it what were your thoughts at the time
1: um i i thought myself we were a part of something very very special but whether the people would reach out and touch it they did
2: hmm. the critics
1: didn't but the people did i thought myself my thoughts of the of the music i thought this is a very spiritual piece and it's making a huge statement. Uh, and it's very topical, actually, because we were talking about the downtrodden and the poor, the, the underdogs, and uh, this guy's indomitable spirit and uh, his, his, his tenacity and his strength to overcome all the hurdles in his life. And I thought, this is a great, quite a serious team, but it's wonderfully uplifting at the end. I thought it was an amazing, uplifting piece.
2: Yeah, beautiful.
1: But whether... You know uh, it's not a solid dance routine and it's not you know top hats and tails and mm-hmm. tap dancing it's a fairly serious piece yeah, yeah. But i said it's a wonderful piece that's what i thought it myself i think this is a wonderful piece but whether the people would reach out for it yeah but you know what there was a vacuum there and it did people in a tremendous way.
2: Because that second uh, night I went, I mean, the reviews had been fairly mixed and I remember yeah, one of the evenings, saying, yeah, yeah, the evening yeah, standard had called it The Glums and uh, yeah, and then exactly. it got a ten minute standing ovation. and uh, That's right. All that's the right. time at the Barbican, there was long standing ovations, wasn't there?
1: Yeah, it was amazing. I mean, there were just, people just went crazy for it. You know, it became the flavour of the month, you couldn't get a ticket and it was just wonderful to be part of that scene. It'd be wonderful to be part of all those great actors and great singers and to be, bring him home written for you i mean that's yeah. some accolade isn't it to have a song like that written specially for you
2: unbelievable to what extent have you felt destined to play that part more than any other
1: i think it was actually i think that's the whole thing about that i think it was written i think it was just i uh, just destined i don't know it was fate or something i don't know what it was i mean i remember going to do the audition and it was in the cats place where the cats was yeah the new
2: london theater
1: yeah yeah And they still had the set with the tires on it and all that kind of stuff. And I did, uh, the first piece I did was Heaven on Their Minds. Yep. And when I started singing, I started climbing up and doing the Jesus did, pointing down at Judas, pointing down at Jesus, I started moving around the stage, Mm -hmm. as I did in, in Superstar. And then I sang Anthem as a piece... Uh, And afterwards, uh, and I did the piece, obviously, from Les Miserables, and it was too low for me, because a lot of people don't know it was written for a baritone, originally. Mm. And I started jumping octaves, which uh, made it quite exciting for them. And Trevor Nunn wrote to me afterwards, and he said, when you came on the stage and you start doing Heaven on Their Mind, he says, I knew immediately that you were the guy who wanted But he said, you start climbing around these towers," and I thought, he's going to fall down and break his <laughs> neck and found the guy that we need. <laughs> so, and then when I sang anthem, uh, that had just been out of his chest, and hmm. then he eventually ended up Trevor Nunn directing that because uh, Michael Bennett got sick, if you remember. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, when I finished singing anthem, he came up to the stage and he said, that'll be a great ending for Act One. I didn't know what he was talking about, because he'd already been looking at the, the, the chest, Musical, Mm -hmm. and I thought, what's he talking about? This is not in Les Miserables. When I saw Chess, I believe Anthem did end Act One. So it was a a strange time, amazing time.
2: Well, how have you felt about not being in like the movie of the Phantom of the Opera or uh, one or two other shows that have been? And is there going to be a Les Mis movie? Do you think? Oh, I haven't got a clue.
1: I really don't know. I actually went went to see the movie. They asked me to come to Scotland to see the premiere, and I went to see. uh, gerald butler is it yes Jared Butler, yeah a really nice man great mm. guy and he mentioned me from the stage and said listen i'm not up to you singing and all this kind of stuff but mm. look he did what he did and it was you know it was what it was i i don't think it uh really i think the the opening sequences and it got in behind the scenes and it captured an awful lot of the behind the scenes stuff that went on that you can't see from a cross a arch you know but um Jared did it uh, for he's an actor basically and he did uh, a reasonable job with the singing and you know you just there it is that's what it is
2: have there not been serious discussions about a movie of Lame is there
1: there has on and off but I don't I don't know why it's never come to part I think probably I might be probably too old now to do that part
2: oh you'd be gutted not to be in it there wouldn't you
1: uh, you know there's been so many versions of that uh, Liam Neeson I think was the last guy to do it and I met yeah. Liam Neeson. Um, down in uh, new york and i was introduced to him and he gave me a big hug and he said every morning before i went out on the set i listened to you singing from the ladies album mm. Isn't that lovely
2: that is lovely yeah yeah prior to this interview probably i've always thought of you as being a very shy chap um how did you feel about the increased profile that les mis gave you
1: i suppose uh, you know actors you know it's the singers me 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 they like talking about themselves I don't know, I've got used to it to a certain degree, and uh, um, you get used to sort of a certain amount of attention, mm. and um, those people might call it adulation, I mean, I get emails all the time about kids who are affected by what I do, and uh, a lot of kids going into the music business because of what I do, and I'm absolutely honored and delighted to hear that, and uh, I get. If you want to go on the site, Peter, you can take a look at the last review from Buffalo, which is very. Yeah, I have. I
2: just read it just before it's this. Great, yeah, isn't it? yeah it's I true. Mean, I'm not surprised. I kind of
1: stuff. You know, I mean, that, that's. I'm very humbled by all that. Really, I'm not uh, surprised it, at all. It, yeah, it's it's uh, it's just uh, great to be, and, and the people I met. I mean, there's one guy I met. No, I mean, I, when I was in Les Misérables, I used to get these letters from convicts. And um, a lot of people who were disenfranchised people. And um, Bring Him Home in New York in 87 became the AIDS anthem. And I got a call from um, a club, a gay club, and would I sing Bring Him Home for the Mm -hmm. people there? And I said, yes, I would do that. And uh, I went down and I sang Bring Him Home in this gay club, and that was um, a real experience for me, a very yeah. emotional experience because these people were dying because they didn't understand what was going on yeah. and nobody understood the disease at the time. And then Empty Chairs became another AIDS anthem after that too. Yeah. So the song, that song and that kind, of, that kind of has a huge impact on your life. And the but, Phantom was the same. I met yeah. this guy in Buffalo who actually came up to me I was signing CDs afterwards, and he oh. said to me, I was in L.A. I mean, you meet this all the time. I was in L.A., and he said um, I was a drug addict. And he said, I happened to just hear you sing, he said, one night on the television. And he said, I, I just loved your voice. He said, I just was so affected by what you did. He said that I, I started listening to music, and I, and oh. I started listening to musicals, and I started listening to And he said, I have to say that your music turned me around. He said, a great help in my rehabilitation, he says, I'm now drug-free and have been for years. and blah. That's wonderful.
2: That is wonderful, isn't it? But that's very moving for you to hear, isn't it?
1: Oh, yeah, and I get that. I have to say, and I'm not being blind, I get that a lot. Yeah. I get that a lot from people. who This girl came up to me and she's she said to me, I want to show you these photographs and I want to just ta- tell you a story. At, at Buffalo, this happened in one night, and I mean, this happens quite a lot, Peter. I can't mm. remember a lot of it, but she said... Do you remember this girl? And I'm looking at this huge woman, very big woman, mm. big woman, and she's a young, youngish woman. Mm. And she said, and, and I'm pictured with her. And I said, yeah, sure I do. And I'm sort of looking at her. Then I realised it's her, lost about fifteen stone or twenty stone. She said, I used to hide out because she said I identified with the phantom. She said I wouldn't come out. She said, I right. I wouldn't come out in the public because I was so big. But she said you always met me after the show and you talked to me. you were very kind to me and she said due to you and due to your encouragement she said i went on this diet and i am now married here's my husband and she said this is me now and this is what i was god i mean you get that all the time
2: that's power isn't
1: it power music power i mean you say well yeah i mean it's the show show too i mean it's, it's not just what you do it's andrew's music it's it's Les Miserables, it's Claude Michel's music, and mm. their lyrics, Herb Krestma's lyric. You're the conduit, you're the guy who gets it across, but I mean, you do it in, a, in the best
2: way you can. Mm. And some of the fans go far more than I do. They've been thousands of times to the show, haven't they, over and over, sitting in the front row with their funny T-shirts on.
1: Yeah, they do, they become totals. Uh, you know, I don't know where they get the money from, so I say, where do you guys get the money <laughs> I mean, they, they have the Colin Wilkinson Appreciation Society, which there was twenty-five of them in oh. Buffalo, you know, and they just sit there, and they come from all over. Yes, I mean it's amazing. I mean, one girl in Ireland came from uh, Taiwan. She was sitting there in the front row, and I said, "You're joking And she said, "No, yep. no, came in from Taiwan." And said, "This, is no, sorry, it was in New York. It was yep. in New York." And uh, when I did a gig at the Town Hall in New York last
2: year. Francis uh, recalls getting hysterics during L'Aimé's on more than one occasion. Has anything happened during a performance which has made you giggle or shocked?
1: we <laughs> be here all night. But <coughs> okay, one. Uh, there was a lot. There was a lot. But th- this particular night, um, Alan Armstrong? Yes. Wonderful. Mr. Tenardier Oh, yeah, wonderful, wonderful actor. Uh. Wonderful raconteur and just a great guy. I see him in new tricks now all the time. He's just this amazing guy. He's one of the best actors I ever worked with in my life. But however, he he left, himself and Javert left. Roger Allen, wonderful, wonderful guy. Roger and himself left. And they asked me to stay on an extra couple of days. I don't know why, but I forget now. But they asked me to stay on because I was supposed to leave that night too, that weekend, so I had to stay on an extra week or something like that, whatever was going on. And um, on my last night, uh, and alan had left a week he appears in my dressing room at the palace i said alan great to see you i said what and he says oh your last night michael be here for you last night you know mm-hmm. And i think he had a few tinctures you know <laughs> 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 and, he, he, uh, and himself and roger were there you know and uh, i thought "Oh, okay, that's great i said that's very nice of you to do that and uh, i i don't drink so there was loads of booze that people send me as presents and stuff in the place I then go get him a drink and whatever no matter sitting there having a chat before i went on anyway um during the uh the beggar scene where yep. jean has cosette and he's coming down through the beggar scene i noticed this person was out of place this person was not in place because i've got to get through and have the fight and be thrown on the ground and yep. you know, all that kind of stuff and suddenly this figure was there coming towards me and I thought, oh to put this understudy on, or somebody that I don't know, a new guy, and you go and I've got to get through this now, and I've got to do this, and, and this guy was bar stopped stood in my way, you know, and I couldn't get down stage, and he was wearing this huge, big, floppy leather hat, and the, the floppy leather hat came up, and it was Alan Armstrong, and he was on stage dressed as a stick, <laughs> and he had his coat on, this coat on, and he opened his coat, and he was naked. And he
2: this is a West End tradition, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. It's yeah. Your last, I went to see Jonathan Price's last performance in Miss Saigon. The same thing happened to him.
1: <laughs> I don't know. And he says, What do you think of this, Governor? That's what he said. <laughs> and I don't know how I kept my cool. You,
2: know. <laughs> you want to clobber him, bro? I
1: know. Rebecca came with <laughs> an intake of breath. She couldn't believe it. He yeah, said, I funny. said, I don't know. I said something like, it's very nice, I'll see you later on. Whatever I said, <laughs> I don't know how I managed to. But when I went down on the ground, he managed to get down there, and there he was wafting over me, flashing the coat again. And well, it was just unbelievable. God. That was that was something
2: else. Now, how did you feel when you weren't initially allowed to play Valjean on Broadway, and then Cameron refused to put the show on unless you were given the go-ahead? That seemed very flattering for you.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was. Um... I felt obviously hugely disappointed yeah, that uh, that was going on. So, and he phoned me. I remember I was out staying with friends outside London, and he phoned me. He said, "Look, this might not happen, Colin. I have to let you know." And I said, "Oh God, that's terrible." And um, so, but eventually he did it, and he got me through. So he got us through. He swapped two guys for me. Seemingly, he got uh, the reciprocal. Two actors came in.
2: Yeah. I went over. Yeah. And. So I was, uh, when, when you were starring in the West End or on Broadway, uh, how often did you pinch yourself that you'd made it so far, this you know, young man from Dublin?
1: I very rarely thought about that. I just thought about doing the job. I, right. It's um, it actually very hard work. yeah. The, uh, the role was not easy to do on an extended basis, and um, I'd been there doing eight shows a week for, you know, I did it for a year there, I think, and it was quite an, an endurance test. You know, I got very little time off. And so so um, I, I just concentrated on the work, the work and getting the work done and getting it done to the best of my ability.
2: Did you have any big celebrities visit you backstage?
1: In London and... Uh, Anywhere? Yeah, oh yeah, I mean, there was loads of people. I mean, from who, I can't remember, Tom Jones came back in New York.
2: All right.
1: A lot of people came in, uh, different American actors came in. Um, Bill Hurt came in in Washington, yeah. he came backstage, I mean there was hundreds of guys out, out front that I never knew of, I mean Streisand was there one night, Paul McCartney was there another night, um, so I'm just talking about the people who came back, Yeah. Uh, Bill Hurt came and I remember I had my daughter in Washington with me and uh, he knocked on my dressing room door and I was in the shower and uh, I came out in my dressing gown and, and he said, I, uh, I, Oh, he said, I just wanted to tell you that I really enjoyed a prom am Bill Hurt. And uh, oh. I said, do you mind if I get dried first? And uh, <laughs> I said, you know, uh, I said, Sarah, will you keep an eye on Sarah for me while I'm getting And He played Sarah, my daughter, for about 10 or 15 oh. minutes while I got dried up. They made a great job. Oh. He's a really nice guy.
2: Am I right in assuming you haven't actually starred in a long run in the show since then, since Les Mis?
1: No. Yeah, that would be correct.
2: Is that because they simply can't find a thing to match it, or you just well, feel that you've done that Well, now? I just
1: feel, I mean, I did a tour of Andrew Lloyd Webber's music here, which is a, a long journey. Uh, yeah, that, that could be it also. Um, but, you know, um, it takes a huge chunk of your life. Eight shows a week, you've got to be down to the wire, you've got to be ready to go, you've got to have, you know, all of this. You're, I'd say to the kids all the time, they say, what's the biggest ingredient you need and i said i keep on saying consistency yeah because you don't have to be good one night you have to be good every night yeah. so you gotta watch yourself i mean you can't be bad one night because people come a year later and they say oh well he was much better the last time i saw him so you, you, if you're in a long run it's consistency is the key and the only way to be consistent is to really look after yourself so to look after yourself you're really sort of sleep a lot you don't see a lot of your kids because you, you, they're gone when you get up in the morning and then you're gone when they come home in the evening so it's very uh, it takes uh, very demanding I, I've, done, I've done my time basically of that so the concerts I have more control over my life um, I'm able to come and go as I please I'm able to say no I won't do that or I will do that and um, I have a little more control over my life Yeah.
2: so what chance of you doing a long run starring role in a, in a musical ever again
1: Probably very, very, uh, uh, unless it's something that um, I could, uh, I think I could do well at my age, Uh, I would, and and be able to, um, my family would be uh, okay with it, that's why I would, um, yeah, but uh, I'm not going to take on anything that's huge and Taxing, and at this stage, I, I, as I say, and I'm, I'm not being facetious. I'm just, uh, I, I've been there and I've done that. It's time for the younger guys to do that.
2: Sure. Is there one you've got your eye on though that you're kind of hoping might come your way?
1: I was hoping to do La Mancha actually. Right. And I thought that would be good. And I actually um, got an offer to do it in L.A. last year from um, Jason Alexander. Right. Jason Alexander. He was asked me to come down and do of He's running it. Theater down in LA, and he said, "Could you come and do?" That? And I didn't hmm. get to do it. But that, that's probably a role I might consider doing. Yeah, La Mancha, if it was under the right conditions. And the other thing is, actually, I'm I'm hoping to get involved with Jesus Christ Superstar next year in Ireland. Oh right. Yeah, just for a short run. And there's onward negotiations going on about that. I don't know whether I'll be involved, but I might be... I'd I'd like to do a little bit of directing, actually. I might be involved in the production end, but I thought I might crack, have a crack at Pontius Pilate, maybe.
2: All right. So um, when you did the Lay News 10th anniversary all those years ago, how special did you feel that performance was at the time?
1: Oh, that was... I mean, to get it over with and done, I thought it was incredible. I just... As Cameron McIntosh said, they, they all said that you couldn't do Les Mis without the sets. Well, here we go, and it's been a huge success. But me, um, just to get on and do that, and it was a truncated version, and it was very, yeah, yeah. very difficult, and obviously quite uh, nerve-wracking because it was being filmed and radioed, and there was five or 6,000 people or wherever the Albert Hall holds, and it was, uh, it was very, very uh, traumatic. But we did a great job. I think everybody involved did a great job. Uh, yeah, a wonderful, wonderful night. I'm so happy, Peter, to have that, that as a testament. And I got some. I got a lovely letter from Cameron about that. You know, yeah. he said you were there, you did it, and there. This is the proof of it. And he said it was fantastic. He said we never had to do one edit in the whole show one drop
2: in nothing i remember that poor little girl was singing because and the balloon went off in the ceiling left
1: that in just to show that it was live yes you know and that's a fantastic effect i mean it does take away from that child but i mean at the same time it just shows you that it was there it was live she did very well to soldier on she flinched for
2: a second and then carried on
1: and carried on it was fantastic it's a great it's a great night that was a fantastic night it was just wonderful
2: and how likely are you to appear in any more les Mis anniversaries
1: none really <laughs> highly unlikely no what come and come on as a, uh, the old guy no no these i i mean if cameron asked me to go i did this last one in london and but you know it's I, I sort of been there done that and it's time to do your other things and it's i was i'm eternally grateful for those shows and uh, I presume, or I would say, uh, a, a very solid career out of them. Yeah. But, um, you know, uh, it's time, it's time, you know, y- you get to a certain period in your career where you say, OK, enough is enough, and you want to do other things, you know.
2: Now, you mentioned earlier Britain's Got Talent, the, uh, yeah. the current yeah. series of which has two favourites who have performed <laughs> songs from Les Mis. Have you seen them?
1: <laughs> yeah, of course. They send, I got about 20 emails about, and I even got, somebody suggested that I should do duets with a <laughs> woman, Miss Boyle, is that her name? Susan Boyle. Yeah, yeah. I've seen them, yeah. I think it's great that these people are getting the opportunity to get so much for the and I hope they earn a lot of money out of them.
2: <laughs> so what do you think of Susan Boyle's performance, first of all?
1: I think it's, uh, for what Susan does, I think it's a great performance. I absolutely love the fact that this woman has got the, after looking after her mom for so long, that she's got this attention, and she, I hope she makes a lot of money, and I, I hope the guy does too. Yes. I think what they're doing for themselves is wonderful, and I wish them the best.
2: Mm. And how have you felt about TV shows like How Do You Solve a Problem Like Maria, which sort of find newcomers to play leading roles in major musicals?
1: I think that's great, because... I think it's, it's giving um, newcomers a chance to shine and it's giving newcomers a chance um, to come in and um, show their, their talent, like well, what these talent shows are doing. But this business uh, is brutal. You know, you can be the flavor of the month one week and then you can be just looking for work the next year. And that's what invariably happens. Out of all the people, you know the statistic that's attached yeah. to our business, 80% out of work at any given moment. It's a wonderful business to be in. It's a fantastic business to actually be part of. It's very gratifying when you are performing and making a living at it. But it can be totally the opposite when you're not. Mm. You know, when you are getting, you know, uh, looking, scrabbling around, looking for work. I've been very fortunate. I have been very, very fortunate in my career. I never played in courses, I never. I always played lead roles. So I've. I've not. I, I can't really speak, but I just know I. It breaks my heart when I see uh, some of my uh, friends in, in the business just, you know, just not
2: working. And in recent years, you've performed with your son Aaron, I think. Um, oh, yeah. How, how is his career going? Well,
1: there you go. That's a prime example. I think Aaron's a super talent. He's a great singer, but he's an artist, and he wants to do what he wants to do. And he, he's not going to, he, he just feels that he doesn't want to do certain things. And the business, as you know, nowadays, is all about packaging. Hmm. And that's all about. And he's a singer-songwriter, and he's a huge talented guy, and he's a great singer. And at the same time, his type of package is not what's selling at the moment, so he's having difficulty. Yeah.
2: Right. And does he want to be musical theatre? Uh,
1: I don't think so. No, I don't think so. Even though he does a great version of Gethsemane, a killer version of Gethsemane. Right. Yeah. He just he did that once, and uh, it just I just he I had a track here of it. And he did it. And it was wonderful to hear him sing that. He Um, But um, no, I think he's a a singer-songwriter and he's not really into that.
2: And when and why did you move to Canada?
1: I moved to Canada to... I got the offer to do the Phantom and I moved here for six months with an optional six and um, I stayed here for... uh, I've been here nearly 20 years now.
2: Gosh. And how does it compare to Ireland?
1: Very different weather-wise. The winters here are quite cold and initially it was quite novel to see snow at Christmas and all that, but i would like to spend more time in warmer climates now but uh toronto was a great city to rare four kids and relatively safe and very clean peter used enough said it was like new york run by the swiss <laughs> so uh it, it, it was, it was great, a great very good move and it was like look at the bottom line for me is, as a, a working sort of actor singer is That you go where the work is, and uh, I found very good work in Toronto with the Phantom, and I've been working out of here ever since. It's only an hour and a half to Toronto, Mm. or to New York, I mean, from here. But, I mean, it's not that important anymore to me. We've settled here. The kids got on track, went to school here, so I didn't want to move. I had offers to go down to America with the same kind of deal that I have here, but I didn't want to uproot the kids once more because I've been dragging them around in my coattails, uh, most of their lives, so I just decided that I would stay here.
2: What have you done with all your awards? <laughs> Do you keep them in the loo? <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. I'm not really great on awards, I have to say. A lot of them have got broken, <laughs> some of them. But uh, I'm not really great with awards. Um, I don't really pay much attention to it, to be quite honest. To
2: so what extent have you felt you've been given the credit you deserve?
1: Oh. Is that important? What does that do? Feed the ego? You just get on with the work and enjoy what you have. And that's hmm. What I do.
2: What ambitions do you have now?
1: As I say, just sort of pull back a bit on the work and uh, start travelling and spending more time with deer drums. Spending more time with my friends.
2: Hmm. What about retirement? How do you feel about that? Is this just something you just never want to contemplate?
1: Yeah. Oh no, I'd love to do that. I mean, it, but I think I'd, I'm. 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 It's music is so much a part of my life that yeah. I have to play. I'd have to. I'd, well, I'd always play guitar, but I mean, I'd play. I'd be. I'd sing as well. That I can't stay away from that. It's like uh, that's what I do. It's in in me to do, and I don't know whether I'd be able to stay away from music. But uh, I, on a, a professional commercial basis, uh, maybe I I'd pull back on that a bit. But I still sing and. It's good for the soul.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, do you think you'll ever write an autobiography?
1: I've been asked to because I've met so many, so many people. And, I mean, I could. The list is endless. I mean, I keep on remembering different people that I've <laughs> met and different characters that I've met, and from Elvis Presley to you know, right through, like from Sammy Davis Jr. You know, Frank Sinatra, Liza Minnelli, people like that. You know, all these uh, Walter Cronkite, uh, you know. Three presidents, most of the royal family, uh, Miles Davis, to some of my heroes. You know, mm. and, um, Solomon Burke, and I worked with a lot of these people. Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: you met Elvis Presley. Yeah. Could you tell me about that? I didn't know you uh, I met him in the
1: Bahamas in 1969, 1970, just before I got married. Wow. He's uh, very, uh, very complimentary to me. I was working with a band in the Paradise Island Hotel. He came to see the show one night i was never a big fan of elvis the late the earlier stuff was because i was into uh, african-american a black singers so, okay. and that's where he got his music from yeah, so yeah, I, yeah. I do a wide go filter through white people i just went to the source so i was into muddy waters and i was into you know helen wolf and i was into you know you willie know, dixon I was into yeah. all those guys but I, I respected what he did i mean he was an amazing char- charismatic character and he had this this amazing sort of way of singing a song and amazing stage presence and so i didn't stay behind uh, not not just i had other things to do when he was there but the rest of the band stayed behind and said hello to him and all that. he was and i remember as i was singing i'll take you home again Kathleen. And he was just about a table away from me and he was oh, going, oh yeah oh, <laughs> i can hear him actually and he recorded it three months later but um no i was coming down the next morning to put my guitar in and tune it up and get it ready for the night and um he was in the foyer with the Memphis Mafia, and he came over to me, and he said, oh, "I really loved you, man. Last night your performance it was beautiful, and blah 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 blah. Yeah, so <laughs> that
2: was very nice." Wow! Did you get a picture taken with him?
1: Uh, no, unfortunately, the guys got pictures taken, but I never did. well oh.
2: And what do you reckon to Bono and Bob Geldof and their achievements? Great
1: people, I think. You know, Bono, especially, just an amazing character, yeah. and they're just fantastic. I mean. The, the good will that he's spread around the world for and, the, mm. and the care he's bestowed, and even with what the kind of regimen that he works with that band, just, they work so hard. And there's just, all of them are such wonderful people, mm. great people.
2: And how, how would you want people to remember you after you've left this planet?
1: That I did my best with what I had. I, I did my best to be uh, for what I was and uh, to try and be the best person I could be with what I have.
2: And how would you feel if they remembered you most for lame ears? Do you think that's
1: Oh, that's wonderful.
2: Yeah. That's wonderful.